2: it's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.
0: Matthew, uh, firstly, if, if I can go there, in our view, hasn't, hasn't done enough. He certainly hasn't done enough uh, over probably quite a few test matches now. Uh, I'm not being unfair to him. He he would recognise that fact as well. He's holding down a batting position, uh, number five.
3: Sure, he put his hand up to to have a crack up the the top of the order, but holding down a a
0: specialist batting position hasn't quite done enough. And as a senior player, uh, we expect a little bit more. Uh, In Travis's case, he, he, to us, has a little bit more upside and we have – giving him a bit of a vote of confidence to to try to win his his spot back in that batting lineup.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your co-host Menas and that was the Australian Chairman of Selectors Trevor Hone speaking after the Test Squad to South Africa and the T20 Squad to New Zealand were both announced. Joining me as ever today on his own is Paul the Summer Game Dennett. Paul, how are you? Hey meners, Uh I'm good. It's, um,
0: it, it seems so so quick. The summer has come and gone in terms of the international men's season. Last week we were so still high on the exciting result, but I just look back, it's uh, 54 days um, that the, the, the summer lasted. And I haven't checked every season, but to the best of my knowledge, that is the shortest gap from day one of the international men's season till the last day. Since the season of 1973-74, when we only played a three-test match series and no one day as for the whole summer against New Zealand, that was 34 days. So obviously there's reasons for it, but it does seem as though the international season's getting shorter and shorter.
1: Yep, I think the season's getting longer and longer. We've still got weeks left of the big bash and the shield and then the uh, the state one-day comp, so I can see a lot of cricket on the horizon. Uh, just for all the listeners uh, wondering out there where maybe Julisa Apps is, so as they say, revenge is a... a dish best served cold, and uh, Jaleesa slid into our DMs late last night and said she was unable to attend today's recording, so (laughs) I guess it's one all in the uh, axing stakes, Um, hello to Jaleesa if you're listening, Uh, thanks for the late notice, All right now. Uh, We have a big show today. We have Pete Lawler joining us from the Australian and we have Lisa Griffiths joining us who is a Sydney Sixers and New South Wales Breakers player and she's going to talk about the New South Wales coaching apprenticeship program that's been put about for three female coaches. So that's all to come but let's get straight into it and give Pete Lawler a call from the Australian. Hello, hello. Hello, is this the host of the Cricket Etc. podcast? This is Manners um, from the Cricket Unfiltered Show, your former podcast. <laughs>
3: Never heard of you. <laughs> Never heard of you, mate. Never heard of you. <laughs> uh,
1: well, you're online. What do you do? Uh, well, we just talk cricket. Not not as well as you and Gideon, of course, but um, I'm here with Paul.
0: Hi, Pete. Hey, Paul. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? <laughs> yeah,
1: good.
3: You're sounding better than him. You've got the better microphone,
1: Paul. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Now, Pete, tell me um, how, how are you going with the podcast, cricket, etc.
3: Oh, well, it's it, it's nice just to have a chance to chat to Gideon constantly, isn't it? You know, not that we don't chat enough, but to, in fact, this series we haven't actually had a chance to chat because we've only been together for two tests. So, yes, it's been nice to have that connection with my colleague and good friend
1: yeah and i would thoroughly recommend all the listeners of cricket unfiltered when they've listened to our show yours is the the best dessert the best dessert every week
3: well we can only aspire to your consistency and uh, you are you are a, a you you cut a path for for those of us who follow you we stand we stand we stand on the
0: shoulders of giants
1: <laughs> well, you don't have to get stand very high.
0: Menes is nodding when you're saying that. He's, he completely agrees with you. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Thank you. <laughs> All, All right. right. So, so All right, look, enough
0: about
3: us. <laughs> straight
1: into the news. So just before we uh, gave you a call, uh, two squads have been announced. The Australian men's T20 Tour of New Zealand squad, the International Aussie squad, and then the Australian men's Test Tour of South Africa. Uh, obviously, the, I guess there's a couple of, Big well, one big exclusion from the test squad. We see Matthew Wade's been axed, and he'll be vice captaining the white ball squad. I don't think there's any real surprise there. I sort of feel like Wade was given enough chances and couldn't quite nail that test spot.
3: No, that was signaled. That was signaled a week or so ago, I think, that he was going to miss out. So I wasn't. I wasn't surprised by that. No, Um, but I actually haven't. Well, they haven't done a press conference yet, have they? But. is, is he in as a reserve wicketkeeper or is he, is he in as a batsman? I'm not quite sure.
1: In the um, the T20I squad, yeah. Well, they've got keeper they've got Philippi and McDermott. So I guess Wade will be a top order player with um, so many of the top order batters in the Test squad. He'll probably be up yeah. the top with Finchy.
3: Yeah, so that yeah, that's the sort of signal that he's certainly on the way out of um, of uh, Test consideration, isn't he? We may not see him in a Test team again. Um, Interesting that they replaced replaced him with Alex Carey. What, is, what do you read into that?
1: Well, I think it's it's a couple of things. Firstly, I think it's putting Tim Payne on a little bit of notice that um, you know Carey's going to be sort of breathing down his neck now for that test test spot. And, and I I think it's also you know a sign that that Carey they see as being you know a really vital part of the team and squad going forward.
3: Yeah, it would seem like he seemed like he's the heir apparent, isn't it? It's come with a very strong endorsement of Tim Payne, hasn't it, from Oliver, Then Oliver, the cricket the executive general manager, blah, 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 cricket teams. Yeah, and, and it needed to, didn't it, because... He, Otherwise, it just looked a little odd. It would have looked a little odd, I reckon, to have him shadowing um, Tim in that squad. But
1: Pete, you've done enough of these. Isn't that always the way with football clubs and all that? You give a strong endorsement and then a couple of weeks later, you sack them?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's when you have the endorsement of the board. That's when you really <laughs> know you're you know, If you've got the, the complete backing of the board, you might as well just get a cardboard box and go home, I reckon. Yeah. But, well, it would be ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't think Tim Payne can afford to. You know, I don't think he's can afford to have a bad series in South Africa, but um, i found the pylon a little bit over the top on Tim Payne, frankly. You know, he was one of the better-performed bats in this series. In fact, I think he probably was the third highest contributor, wasn't he, with the bat? Yep. Uh,
0: I was going to send um, out on TikTok my combined side of the series, but I realised... I would have to include Tim Payne as a specialist batsman in it, and I just thought I'm going to get so much angst from people I couldn't be bothered doing it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, look, you know, yeah, they had a bad series. But I, I, it all comes down on Tim Payne, which is interesting, isn't it? I think Ian, Ian Chappell made a very good point. If you have such an all-controlling couple, uh, that is why the, the captain should run the team, not the coach.
1: Yeah, It feels like Langer kind of runs the team at the moment.
3: We he certainly runs it off the field, doesn't he? He's the most powerful coach that Australian cricket's ever known, isn't he? He's sort of Bob Simpson on steroids. <laughs> um, he, he's got three teams. He is—he's um, a micromanager, and I don't sort of say that in a negative way, but he probably could sort of uh, step back a little bit from all the things he, he's across. But uh, I think it's a—it's a—it's a pretty sort of uh, complimentary relationship in that it it's al- it allowed Tim to concentrate on what he's... You know, one of the bigger asks in cricket, isn't it, to be the captain and keeper? Uh, You know, you don't usually see that in Australian cricket. So it's it's a big job just to keep you... You're keeping up, you're batting up.
1: Haven't we seen then, Pete, that it actually is too big a job? Like, we can say everything we like about what a good job Payne's done, but Mm. I, I just think those last day of test matches in England and this summer have shown that it really is tough being a keeper and marshalling your troops. I mean, quite practically, if you're a batter, when you're in the field, you're not batting. So you can just be the captain.
3: Yeah, yeah. It got to him on those days, on those fifth days. But um, what's the alternative?
1: Well, and, that's the issue.
3: Yeah, there, there's no better alternative, is there? And let's not forget, he has done a fantastic job up to this point. A couple of bad days on the field, but, um, you know, ordinary days. But he's done a fantastic job. He and Langer has been the right people in the right spots for the period that that we've been through. There's no doubt about it, and I don't think Tim Payne's got any concerns at the moment in the short term. But it just it goes to highlight how difficult that job he he goes is, and, and you only find that out, don't you, when you're under massive pressure.
0: I agree, and I also agree that ideally, your keeper's not a captain. You know. ideally. Yeah, and if, maybe if Labuschagne was two years older or if things had been a little bit different, maybe. But I, I still think that at the moment he's the logical captain. I, I think that Langer is a good coach, and I, I think he's an excellent coach. The one thing that concerns me slightly, and I don't know whether what you guys think of that, but when I watched the Test documentary, it seemed as though the emphasis was on motivation, running through brick walls, really, you know, giving everything for the for the jersey, which I support. It didn't seem to be all that much on the kind of nerdy statistician side of things. I know that Dean Hills is there, and but some of the the PowerPoint presentations, to me, they looked quite simplistic. Is there a need for someone, a real kind of um, cricket analyst uh, who possibly has never played the game at a high level, coming in and um, improving the smarts of the side?
3: Well, I mean, you only saw what the producers decided was interesting, didn't you, in the test? So we don't know how much of that stuff goes on, but they're play- they were outplanned. By India, yeah. By India and in this one, weren't they? I mean I I, I found the Ashwin videos really good. I don't know what those on. I think they rate Dean Hill pretty pretty highly. They've got a lot of but uh there was something I was gonna say here. God my brain. Sorry guys, this this poor test series. Thank God it wasn't a full summer. It would killed <laughs> me.
1: Um No, um so just down this test squad to to South Africa. The other big one is Mark Steckity from Queensland getting the call-up. I know there's a few other bowlers coming back from injury, in particular Jai Richardson, but uh, that's a big call-up for Steckity. I don't think anyone would have had him in this test squad.
3: Yeah, I know, I know what I want to say. Sorry, guys, I lost the flow here, but I thought it was important. If you don't have campaign, everybody – what does what everyone saying? Oh, let's, let's get Pat Cummins in the job. I mean, imagine imagine a bowler on the fifth day of a test match – trying to um, stay on top of everything. And also remember that, that the bowler doesn't actually feel in the circle, do they? Yeah. You can't captain a team from fine, mate.
1: Yeah, I think Cummins is not the solution.
3: Yeah. I think no, he's not Steve the solution either.
1: I knew I had a
3: good point <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, well, I don't know, mate. If you see how quickly the wall came crashing down on Australia over Tim Payne calling um, Ashwin a dickhead, like, prepare yourself, because if Steve Smith is the captain, um, the, the, the walls will come down every time they look sideways.
1: That's yeah. right. Stuff the rest of the world. I think we've got to be a bit belligerent now.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, second he was interesting. Well, I thought Jai Richardson would go to – I thought Jai Richardson was in the test squad. He was the one that surprised me that, that they sent him to, to the T 20
1: Well, he just hasn't played any Shield cricket this summer, so I don't think he's got enough overs under the belt.
3: Yeah, I suppose that's the answer to it, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Came back from his shoulder. Um,
3: you know I'm hearing that they, uh, they're trying to put the Shield summer back together without bubbles. They won't be using the biosecurity bubbles. I don't yeah. know if that's right or wrong. Maybe you guys have heard something that I haven't. But, uh,
1: well, no, I think the rest of the Shield schedule's out and it's people playing at home. Like the New South Wales are due to host a home game in sort of mid to late February.
3: Yeah, and it's going to be done like they're normal citizens, you know, and they're just going to try and get around the border and arrange arrangements where they can.
0: I think that makes sense. Yeah.
3: Have you seen
1: much of second play? Yeah, just what we've seen in the shield and in the big bash. He's a good bowler, um, and he bowled well in the, in the Adelaide games. But, you know, if, if we're sort of talking quality, if Joe Richardson was fit, you'd definitely have him ahead.
3: Yeah, so it's probably not a bad idea is it so it's used to in the T20 because he doesn't have the miles in
0: his legs. With that, uh, an alien looking down would say, wait a minute, there's a World Cup in um, T20 cricket in a few months' time, and I know there was zero consideration of this, but it's worth saying, I think, why didn't they pick the T20 side first and say, in years to come, no one's going to remember who won this Australia-South Africa series. If we ev- eventually want to win in the format of the game that the rest of the world cares about, we should prioritise it for once. Do
3: you want to stay friends, mate?
0: No, no, no! I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of arguing against myself. I, I'm, I will remember who wins the Australia South Africa series. I'm sort of saying Paul, Paul told me he doesn't care about the Test
1: Championship. <laughs> before you got on, he doesn't care about. <laughs>
3: oh, I would be screaming the house down if that happened.
1: So would I. <laughs> yeah.
0: but I'm saying the, the T20 is the future of the game. It is. It, it, it irks me that. People from India. If you say who won the 2007 World Cup, they'll say we did. We beat Pakistan in the final because they've already kind of put it on a platform with the 50-over World Cup. I,
3: I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just disagree totally. I don't think that T20 is the future of the game. Yes, it, 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 T20 might be the you know the big money spinning really carnival on the outskirts, but the peak of cricket will always be will always be Test matches. And if you ask if you ask players through time that. That they will always aspire to play Test match cricket. That will always be the ultimate form of
0: cricket. I hope so. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily true in, in, in many countries of the world now.
3: Well, there's not a lot of countries play Test cricket.
0: No, but I'm saying in the West Indies or T20 might
3: T20 might be more popular. You know, and it, it, it might thrive everywhere. But but Test cricket will always be the supreme form. Even countries even countries that don't play Test cricket, I imagine, aspire to play Test cricket if they could.
1: That's right. And you look at the, the power of that last day at the Gab, I mean, that captivated the whole world, the whole sporting world. And I don't think a, a T20 can bring in the world like a, a good test match can. Um, there's just something about them. Oh,
0: of course. I mean, I, I love test cricket more than, than any other form. I'm just sort of saying it's, we wouldn't have even given it consideration to um, prioritise the T20 when you know, the way that the rest of the world looks at it, we've never yet won a T20 World Cup and we consistently deprioritise that format of the of the international game, which um, that's the choice that we've made. But um, it might look peculiar to other countries. I don't know.
3: I don't know. I think that that, that India, India would set test cricket as its um, primary form, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think this
1: is a way to go. India is the
3: country that has the IPL and it generates, you know, if you believe that, if you believe those, uh, that survey. One in three dollars in cricket is generated by the IPL. <laughs> but all that said and done, you know, it, 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 still the core business is test match cricket and ask ask the players, and they would say
1: that too. Mm. Now, speaking of test match cricket, Australia may have unearthed a new leg spinner. Tanvir Sanger has been called up from the Thunder for the T20 squad, but he looks like a real find. Um, he's been called up. Ashton Turner's been re-picked. But I think Tanvi Zhang is the one to watch in this T20 tour. Do you
3: think he'll get a game? He's 19 years old, isn't he? he? doesn't have much He's never played for his state, has he? So it'll be a bit like David Warner, won't it? That he might actually end up playing for his country before he plays for his state.
1: I think they should give him a go. He turns the ball more than Zampa. He obviously doesn't have the control Zampa has. But I, I think we've seen that Australia needs to start looking for a wrist spinner to... To give them more options in the, in in all forms of the game,
3: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if one came along, I'm sure they'd leap on them, but they never come along, do they? And every and, and what you often see with wrist spinners, isn't it, that people get really excited about them when they're 19, but uh, it's that it's that going that, but it, it takes a lot longer to go that extra leg, doesn't it, and yeah. to become a bowler who can actually, yeah, it, it's all very well too, to do it in in the limited over formats, which which peculiarly enough t- tend to favour spinners and wrist spinners because people are looking to score runs but once you go up to first class cricket and test cricket you've got to be uh, it takes a bit more skill than that doesn't it? A bit more skill and a bit more consistency.
1: Definitely. What do you think of the chances of Australia actually going to South Africa? Do you think they'll make it?
3: Uh, well they, I think that they, they have to go. Uh, they are compelled to go. If you want other countries to, to tour here you have to tour there. There's a lot of flapping of the arms. I think a lot of the medical the medical advice is basically don't go. So they're they're trying to put in all sorts of belts and braces sort of conditions around the tour, which which is fair enough too. But you know, and you can't say we can't go because it's too dangerous. When you went when you went to the UK in the middle of the year, and, and the UK has one of the highest fatality rates in the world from COVID, and it's an absolute disaster. I mean, South, Astri- South Africa is, is possibly more dangerous and a little looser. And the England tour fell apart, didn't it? But for various reasons, I don't. I think they kind of use COVID as an excuse in the end because they just wanted to go home. And I think, I think the players are half hoping that it, that it will be cancelled because they're just tired. Yeah. They're, they're wrung out after that summer. I mean, the, the South African tour is always a practice tour, and part of that reason I can is because the players are exhausted after an Australian summer. But you've got to go. Yeah, you've man. got to make the effort.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the thing with the England tour was that it, it did coincide with that lull where the, uh, it was kind of between the first and the second waves. And I think they felt that the ECB's bubble was so uh, bulletproof that they felt safe. Um, I, I, I sort of think that they, if I was having to go now, I would feel pretty nervous about going.
3: Yeah. Hey, it's, it's hey, I wouldn't go. But, uh, I'm not trying to keep Test cricket alive. I'm just a, a hack, you know, who's sitting at the typewriter um, and and I'm I'm of that age where if I get it, I'm screwed. <laughs> but um, but if you want to keep Test cricket alive, you can't expect people to you know to to do you favours if you don't do them favours. Mm. He goes, say, "Ed, it's safer here," and then he goes, well You know, part of it is, oh, you don't want to do the quarantine when you get back." I get that, but you know, India didn't want to jump through all the hoops. That it, it had to jump through to do this tour either, but it did it. So you just got to suck it up, don't you?
1: Yeah. And Australia need to go and win and get the, get to the final of the Test Championship, as Paul said.
3: Yeah. And, and look, and I would completely understand if say, uh, Mitchell Sark said, oh, you know what? I'm not doing this tour. Give me a break. You know, I've got other stuff going on. You know, um, he's got issues at home or whatever. I get that. I don't think they should. I don't think players would be too harshly judged if they didn't do it, because that they are being asked so much at the moment, um, to having their lives turned upside down, um, to keep the game going. But but I think that Australia, it's incumbent on Australia to send a squad to South Africa.
1: Yeah, and it'll be a cracking series, no doubt. Always is between Australia and South Africa.
3: Oh, it's it's the best tour. It's the best tour. I mean, yeah.
1: Have you ever done one? Done no, I've never been to Africa.
0: We've talked about doing it uh, and we've just never um never it. got around. Be all, <laughs> I'd love to do this one. It might be a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> I
1: know.
3: might there. Exclusive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll put my hand up. To-
1: we could be the Barat of the South African tour. Everyone will be calling us. <laughs>
3: The token, the token Aussies, yeah, going <laughs> to be very good. Now, before I let
1: you go, Pete, we're we're a week mm-hmm. out now from the conclusion of the Australia India series. You know, people have talked about it as um, you know being one of the best series in Australia for many many years, and obviously a famous victory for India. How have you kind of reflected on the the series quality, and I guess uh, where Australia went wrong? Well,
3: I think the I think the achievement by India was one of the greatest achievements in the history of cricket. Yep. Without a doubt. Where did it... Well, I can see where India went right. Some of it was by accident and some of it was very much by design. Uh, they came up with bowling plans months out from the tour. They were very clever bowling fans. They ambushed Australia and Australian, Australia's batsmen took a long time to respond to them. I think but that, that was the design part of it. Uh, the other design part of it was having such great depth in their cricket now that uh, they have batsmen and bowlers who are ready to go, like, and they've got they've got suburbs full of them, um, which is the sort of we where concerns might happen one day in India if they ever you know really got their act together about developing a team. Well, they've got their act together, but look of it. The the thing that happened to them by accident was they just got refreshed constantly by injury. Normally it was knock you for six, but somehow they, you know, they they turned they made the most of of crisis rather than letting the crisis get on top of them. So that's what was part of their achievement, wasn't it? That's why it was such a significant achievement. The Australian batsmen were disappointing through the entire tour. You know, Marnus did all right, but all of them at times let the team down. All of them left runs out there when they should have got runs, um, and then the bowlers, well. The bowlers could have done better too, but they didn't have a lot to work with, and and a lot was asked of them, of the same poor people. Yeah,
0: I made the point last week, and Manners was so depressed after I made it that this is a pretty good Australian side compared to all the sides I've seen. This is this is towards the upper echelons of those sides, given that we this side couldn't beat in India. Is this the, uh, the the sort of the sign the future like? We're not. Uh, when are we next going to beat India? That's I, my question.
1: Send me again. <laughs>
3: Look, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, our enthusiasm at the start of this series for the way that Australian side looked on paper, and particularly when you got to to Melbourne and um, Pekovsky was brought in, mm. uh, outstanding. I mean, you that that is as good an Australian side as you will ever see. But that. They can perform better. They can. They should win that series. Yeah. If they'd have played better, they'd have won that series. So it's not all doom, doom and gloom. I thank don't you, think. Thank you, India. I don't think that India beats the East Side, whatever they are. but certainly not India A. sort of love of that, in some respects, always beats that Australian team. I think that Australian team, that Australian team, underperformed as much as the Indian team overperformed.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that if they do meet each other in the World Test Championship final at Lords, Australia will start with the bookmakers as favourite, which is bizarre, but that's how it'll be. I'd say.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, hopefully that, that that is not the the pattern of things to come. Hopefully Australia's bat um will show a little bit more um, determination. Don't leave runs out there like they did for the whole season. Hopefully the bowlers have a better series, you know, and maybe next time they will be topped up.
1: Ly- Lyon not taking wickets at all certainly left a big hole too.
3: It did, yeah. yeah. The Indian batsman played him really well, didn't he? And it's funny because of the way he bowled in Adelaide, I was really looking forward to him bowling to Pajara for the whole series and just thinking how exciting it was going to be. You know, this is Lyon at his peak and uh, taking on India. But it was not to be,
0: was it? no. You make a good point around how it was the injuries, in some ways, in a minor way, accidentally helped them. That Umesh Yadav and Mohammad Shami probably wouldn't have bowled as well um, as the replacements did bowl. And if Australia, if if Mitchell Stark after the second test had properly done his, um, you know, calf, and we'd had to have Nisa brought in, it, he might have actually, actually strengthened us a little bit as well.
3: Also, and the others, yeah, yeah they came in, they, they they all performed as you would expect Test players to perform mm. perform, and they all performed better than you'd expect. Uh, uh, people on their first tour to perform to yeah. their bowls. And God, look at Shubman Gill. I mean, he's bloody gold-plated. Uh, but the other thing that they brought was a, a handful of those guys out there in the fourth test were living the dream. They mm-hmm. never imagined they were going to play test cricket. I mean, particularly a guy like Natarajan. Yeah. Yeah. So. So he's feeling no weariness. He's feeling no, uh, you know, he's not worn down by months and months and months and months of biosecurity or or the fact that the hotels have been closed on them in the last two tests. He's just thinking, geez, how good's this? So, you know, um, I don't care. I'm playing test cricket. And they had that attitude, whereas the Australians just looked world-weary, didn't they?
0: Yeah, and you compare that to… That
3: enthusiasm was lacking.
0: Yeah, and you compare that to, like, 2014-15 when… Ishant Sharma sort of left the Gabba because he wasn't happy with the vegetarian food on offer and they were complaining about the warm-up pitches and Shikhar Darwin sort of retired hurt with no notice and they got the letter out of press, press, um, protest against the pitch. They, they, they seem to have a mindset chain that they were nothing that, on this tour that could, could sort of um, upset them, even though it probably should have.
3: Yeah, and that was all down to the leadership of Ravi Shastri, I think, in many ways. Well, not all down, but he set the tone for that tour. Yeah, encourage everybody to have a look at the team address that he did in the dressing room. I think the BCCI put that up after they won, and, and also to look look at Ashwin's and Shridhar's um, video blog of the tour. While it's hard for Australians to watch Indians have so much fun at our expense, <laughs> uh, it's it's salutary. And um, don't be too inflamed. I think I think some of the subtleties of what he's saying and the fact that a lot of its tongue in cheek is lost in the uh, in the subtitles.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm going to go and check it out. Well, Pete, thank you so much for joining <laughs> you, us. You might get
3: angry, Andrew. You'll still oh. get angry. <laughs> I think I will be
1: angry. Don't worry. I've got a lot of emotions okay, swirling guys. around. Thanks for joining us. That was the host of Cricket Etc., second best cricket podcast around.
0: <laughs> and,
1: Pete, what? I uh, do love test cricket. a
3: great cricketer, is that right? <laughs> hey!
1: I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> See you, mate. Yeah,
3: I know you love Phil. Paul.
1: great stuff there from Pete Lawler we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with all the cricket headlines including the thrilling conclusion to the regular season of the Big Bash you're listening to the cricket unfiltered podcast with Manners and Paul and let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo podcast straight off the bat a thrilling conclusion to the big bash regular season going right down to the wire there was a triple header on january 26 and six of the six of the teams were still alive going to the very last game a, a fitting climax Paul to the competition so far yeah, I,
0: I enjoyed it a lot. What, what did you think of the final game? And a lot of people are saying that it was made more exciting by the fact that the, the bonus point played such a significant factor in it. Um, I'm not so sure. I, I, it, was, it was intriguing, but um, in some ways I would have preferred if it was just a, a normal T20 game without that, that factoring in. What did you think?
1: Uh, That wasn't my overall takeaway from that final game. I mean, so if you're just catching up, the Melbourne Stars had to beat the Sixers and get the bonus point to make the finals. Uh, They did not do either. But I was more disappointed with the way the Stars approached Mm. that game, not so much the actual rules. I, in fact, thought that... You know, the bonus point did open up a few more possibilities going into that uh, last weekend of games. So whether you like it or not, it, it did have the intended sort of benefit of adding more talking points. I thought it was strange how
0: David Hussey... You might not have seen this because you probably watched it on Fox. I watched it on Seven and he was interviewed by the Seven guys and he and he said, oh, it kept me up till all night thinking about all the permutations and implying that he put a lot of thought into it. And yet uh, the result was that they... They didn't open with Glenn Maxwell. And later on in the, in the broadcast, Michael Slater said, given you needed to score as many as possible in those first 10 overs, why wouldn't they have opened with Maxwell? To which he almost had to apologise for this being such a, a left-field suggestion. I mean, I, I find that bizarre. The only way they could possibly have made it was to have said, They are going to go for the 10-over score, the Sydney Sixers. It makes sense for them to do that because that's all they need to do. So we have to ensure that we, if anything, if we blow ourselves up and get 110 and we've lost seven wickets off the first 10 overs, that's no good, but it's better than what they ended up doing.
1: Well, they were out of it as soon as they lost that bonus point, so... Exactly. As you say, it didn't make sense what they were doing. So what the Stars did was they sort of meandered to 72 off their 10 overs. And and it was a good toss for the Sixers to win. They won the toss and sent the Stars in. But as you say, they should have just gone hell for leather and, and, and tried to keep themselves in the game. And I'm not one to call for someone's job to be taken away from them. But I think there should be a review done of the way the Stars approached that game. Uh, because it seemed to me like they just had no idea of the rules. Yeah, I agree. And, and but, David Hutsey, I think, should be under the microscope
0: I agree uh, And it amused me as well, the fact that Slater's logic as to why Maxwell should have opened Because you want to get the highest possible total across your 10 overs Is exactly the same logic I use as to why Maxwell should always open in a T20 game Because you want the best player to have the most possible balls Especially given that he's got the 4-over power play at the beginning That sides still don't take advantage of So, um, yeah, very very peculiar
1: So the Stars miss out, the Renegades miss out. But let's go back a couple of steps to the sort of uh, beginning of this last round because seven of the eight teams were still in the hunt for the finals going to those last four games, which is um, the competition organiser's dream. And in the last round, the Thunder smashed the Adelaide Strikers by nine wickets. Alex Hales hit 63 off 39. If I hear another... Pun like hailstorm or <laughs> something like that, uh, but it was a a hailstorm of sixes at the Adelaide Oval, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, the Thunder smashed the Strikers. That meant the Thunder uh, were third on the ladder, and the Strikers needed the other results to fall their way to make the top five and then the final series. So that was the sort of January twenty fifth game at night. Then on January twenty sixth, we had the the monster, the monster triple header. And in the first game, the Brisbane Heat defeated the Perth Scorchers and the Heat also grabbed the bonus point that propelled them into the finals. Chris Lynn smashed 51 off 25 deliveries, helping the Heat to 7 for 181. In reply, the Scorchers were 6 for 175. Mitch Marsh hit a a dashing 54 off 26 to almost steal the game. And in fact, on the last Ball of the game. The Scorchers needed six to tie and send the game into a super over. Ben Lachlan delivered a full toss outside off stump, but Mitch Marsh could not get it away. Therefore, the Heat win and go through into the finals. Uh, quite a turnaround, I think, for the Heat, Paul, because sort of halfway through the competition, they were really struggling. They didn't look like They were going to be able to improve. They just didn't look like a good team. But now uh, they're in the finals and with a good chance.
0: Yeah, we've been critical of them. And so congratulations to them and to Darren Lehman for getting them there. It's interesting looking at the table that they did finish on fourth. But they have, uh, if you exclude the Renegades, who unfortunately had a pretty woeful season, the Brisbane Heat actually have the worst net run rate of all the other remaining sides. Uh, So if... the Obviously, the the tally isn't done on net run rate, but it's in some ways a sort of a more accurate reflection of how everyone's going. It's interesting that the Heat on fourth have the worst net run rate and the Sydney Thunder in third have the very best net run rate of the entire tournament. I I think that the Sydney Thunder, uh, they're the third favourites, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if they actually ended up winning the competition.
1: I agree. And uh, then in the second game of the triple header, the Hurricanes melted down against the Renegades and torpedoed their own big bash season. The the Renegades made 5 for 150 and the Canes looked to be going well. They needed about 80 off the last 10 overs. They had plenty of wickets in hand and then they collapsed to 9 for 139. Zach Evans, the young Victorian quick playing for the Renegades, took 5 for 33 and the Canes lost the game and That's it for them. Big bash done. Very surprising considering they started well. They've got a lot of talent in that team. But really, once they left Hobart and stopped getting all those home games, they just couldn't win enough games.
0: It was weird because I left the TV. I had to do something when they were looking like they were uncomfortable. Came back to see that they were um, all but out the gate. It was a must have been a, a peculiar 20 or 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, it was. It was almost like the game just drifted a little bit. Darcy Short and Darwood Milan um, both went at – well, Darwood Milan went at a strike rate of under 134 of 36, and same with Short, 29 of 32. I, I felt they just took it a bit easy. They started hitting the fielders a lot, and uh, the run rate required spiralled. And uh, the Renegades got a – well, a morale-boosting victory to end their very, 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 very disappointing uh, Big Bash campaign. And how come... Sorry to interrupt. No. How come Payne wasn't in the side? I mean, he's there and
0: available, carrying the drinks. I mean, Payne batted sub- sublimely during the Test series. Jax has got a, a very disappointing record this time around. Why wouldn't you have just play Payne?
1: Yeah, not sure. Not sure why they didn't play Payne. And you're right, it's just strange that you have the Aussie Test captain there not playing.
0: Uh, yeah, and the, that's the other thing that he should have been on a beach somewhere. I mean, we're looking ahead to the tour of South Africa. Your the last time we were there, Smith was burnt out, and you know lots of bad things happened. After such a stressful series, they should have said, if you're not going to play him, at least tell him in advance and and let him spend two weeks lying somewhere on a beach.
1: I wonder if Matt Wade had the the the, the pleasure of telling his his own test captain that he wasn't playing. <laughs> Payne's like, well, either are you. <laughs> But it is crazy that
0: they would say, no, well, we can't play Payne because he's a specialist wicketkeeper and we've already got Wade as the keeper. Surely that's not what their thinking was.
1: No, I mean, Payne used to open the batting for the Hurricanes and do it very well.
0: Yeah, and and Wade, a few weeks before, was a specialist batsman. They're, they're, They're very strange.
1: And then in the final game of the night, as we touched on, the Stars completely botched it up and they plummet out of the competition. The Stars made six for 177. Good finish. Glenn Maxwell batted well, but the real problem was in the first 10 overs, as we said before, they laboured to 72, Seb Gotch 15 off 13, Larkin 12 off 18, seemed like they had no idea of the overall situation and what I don't understand is, so Stoinis goes early and Gotch is with him you don't send Larkin out, you've got to send another hitter, if you're going to play it so you have one sort of anchor and one hitter. When your hitter gets out and you need to score in the first 10 overs, send your other hitter out. I mean, Gotch and Larkin was the worst combination imaginable for the stars. And and considering this season rested on it, I just it, it's, it, it's a massive stuff up. Absolutely, it's a
0: massive stuff up. And also, and I know I go on about this, um, but this was the time if you were ever going to have a pinch hitter, to have a pinch hitter, that – Pick a bowler who is otherwise not going to get an opportunity to bat, or if, if he does, it's going to be right near at the end, who can swing, and, and put in two or three of them if you need to. That's it's when you can... Nathan Coulton-Isle. Exactly, yes. Hey, I mean, I, you could have done a lot worse than open with Maxwell and Coulton-Isle.
1: And in the end, the Sixers actually won the game. Siri, Dan Christian chased it down, smashing 49 not out of 23 deliveries. So... Both Melbourne teams miss out on the finals for the first time in the competition's history, and so do the Hurricanes. That means uh, the finals are shaping up as the, we have the Eliminator, so the first knockout game between the Brisbane Heat and the Adelaide Strikers on Friday the 29th of January at the Gabba. And then uh, the day after at Manica Oval, the Sixers host the Scorchers. The winner of that game goes straight through to the grand final. And the Thunder that day will host the winner of the Heat and the Strikers. And that's where the sort of things start off. And, yeah, I, I think we're out for some ripping games.
0: Yeah, I had a look at the sort of um, the market and just here are the odds percentage-wise. Um, tell me if you agree with this. According to those, the Scorchers, a 41% chance of winning the tournament. Sixes 35 Thunder, 13 Heat, 6%. And Strikers, 5%. Do you take issue with any of that?
1: I'm just wondering why the Scorchers have a 6% more chance than the Sixers, considering the Sixers finished on the top of the table with one more win and have hosting rights.
0: Well, I think because um, the the Scorchers have finished much better than the Sixers. Uh, The Scorchers have a significantly better net run rate. The Sydney Sixers' home ground advantage playing at Manuka, is going to be um, fairly um, neutered. And I just think there's a feeling that the, the Scorchers, right at this moment, are the team to beat.
1: Yeah, I mean they have a very, very strong bowling lineup, the Scorchers. That's what struck me after a few games when it was clear Jai Richardson, Andrew Tai and Jason Berendolph were all actually fit. It's really changed the look of their team. So
0: I think I was gonna say it's their batting lineup that impresses me. That you've got was it Livingston and opens Roy. up with Roy, and then you've got classic hits the whole way down. They've got Inglis, uh, who else have also got Mitchell Marsh, uh, who am I forgetting?
1: Ashton Turner.
0: That's him. Ashton Turner. He's Played a, a few little nice innings now, nothing major, but he's he's getting there.
1: So I I think um in that first game the heat and the strikers probably slightly tipping the heat at home. Uh, I, I think the strikers are really missing Rashid Khan in those middle overs with the ball. Yeah, massively once again, and
0: I I harp on this, but the, the um the spin bowlers were, were the dominant bowlers. I had a look at the the best economy rates in the Big Bash for anyone who's bowled twenty overs or more. majib six point two six. And Berendorf, an exception, 6.69. Rashid Khan, 6.87. Zahir Khan, 6.93. Jai Richardson, another quick, 7.08. Imad Wazim, 7.15. O'Keefe, 7.17. Menenti, 7.22. Another quick, Worrell, 7.29. Zampa, 7.35. It's absolutely, utterly spin bowler dominated. Again, why are sides still going in with predominantly pace attacks when it's all about spin?
1: Yeah, I'm waiting for a team to go in with your tactic of all spin bowlers. Shane was to, Did go. he he's had lot glue on those stats? Anyway, Shane Warne was talking him up on the coverage last night, saying he thinks he's got a big future in T20 cricket.
0: Yeah, he, he bowled well. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say you with all um spin, but rather than sort of saying, OK, let's go with all quicks and Rashid Khan, for example, if I was the Scorchers, or maybe not the Scorchers because they've got a good, good, good attack, but it's like going with all spinners and and Peter Siddle or something like that. You know, one really good quick. Maybe that's a way to consider
1: it. All right, so the finals get underway this weekend. It's going to be thrilling stuff. Some news about the Big Bash. Cricket Australia is in discussions about setting up an international draft for next year's Big Bash. So players that are already signed with clubs or have existing relationships like a Rashid Khan, you know, they can go back to their clubs like the Adelaide Strikers. But then they're talking about sort of all new international players going into a draft and then say the team like the Renegades who finish bottom of the table then gets the first pick of the international players next year. They were really hoping to get that underway for this season, but with the COVID nineteen um, pandemic, They weren't able to do it. But I really like the idea of an international draft.
0: I think it's a good idea. It's what other sports do partially just to try to get themselves in the, the news cycle, even when the tournament's not going. And so for a day or two in the lead up to it and, then the, and the television event itself, it brings cricket into the limelight and it could be quite entertaining to watch.
1: That's right. And, and it's good for the teams that might finish lower in the table. They can get in a star player to give them a boost for the next summer. Speaking of star players, well, there's been a a raft of Aussies axed from their IPL teams. I forecasted this after the IPL, uh, considering there was a, a lot of disappointing performances from the Australians. So here are all the players axed. Alex Carey, Glenn Maxwell, Chris Green, Steve Smith has been axed by the Royals, Aaron Finch axed by Royal Challengers, Bangalore, Billy Stanlake axed, and the last two, Nathan Coulton Island, James Banson, were both axed by the Mumbai Indians despite winning the IPL. They can't have done much um, more, and they both played an integral part, but you know the big ones there are Maxwell, Smith and Finch all gone. It's not
0: quite as cutting, to pardon the pun, as it sounds, because... You do get the option at the auction. Then, if another side buys a player that you've cut, you have the option of matching their of their price and, and still getting them back. So you kind of have a bite at the, a second bite at the charity. If you think you've you've just paid a little bit too much for someone, you risk putting them back on the open market and then try to get them back at a cheaper price. There's also that possibility as well.
1: So yeah, big news in the IPL. Staying on Glenn Maxwell and Aaron Finch. A report came out from News Corp's Tom Morris last week that. Aaron Finch and Glenn Maxwell are unlikely to play red ball cricket for Victoria anymore. That cricket Victoria are looking at bringing the younger players and Maxwell and Finch no more shield cricket. It's stunning development when you consider Glenn Maxwell probably still has test aspirations.
0: I hope this can't be right. This surely can't be right. That's If that's the case, I, I, I think that's just ridiculous from Victoria. I mean, the, as you say... Maxwell has test aspirations for sure, and what's the point? The Sheffield Shield's meant to be the best players um, playing. Surely, if if someone is in your best side, why wouldn't you want to pick him um, in order to win the competition? Plus, we've often said that one of the strengths of the um, the Sheffield Shield used to be that you'd have these older players still playing, and so it was very very tough and uh, you know a, a high quality competition. Um, if they've if they are going to have an opportunity to not pick Glenn Maxwell especially uh, and going into a shield game and pick someone else, whomever they pick will not be as good and Victoria will not have as good a chance of winning the game. Who cares what the future holds? The future is now. I, I hope this is not true. I can't express how much I think this is ridiculous.
1: The next headline the former NRL boss, that's National Rugby League, Todd Greenberg, Greenberg, will be appointed as the new chief executive of the Australian Cricketers Association. Greenberg has a background in cricket, starting his career in sports administration at Cricket New South Wales. Um, I think this is a good appointment. And uh, I think it also shows that maybe Nick Hockley is firming as being the full-time Cricket Australia CEO because I would have thought Greenberg would be in the running for the the big job at CA, but if he's taken this job, uh, maybe that's not going to be available.
0: Yeah I think it's a good appointment as well and it's a, it shows what the NRL's like that I think this is a nice relaxing appointment you know one of the most stressful jobs in Australian sport probably is being in charge of the Australian Cricketers Association but it's 10 times less stressful than being in charge of the NRL the the, the crazy madcap tournament competition that is you know it keeps on reinventing itself and there's scandals galore and you'd sort of think that being in charge of that you'd age every 10 years every one so it'd be nice relaxing to be um, just in charge of the ACA
1: I love the article in the Daily Telegraph, I think it was by Ben Horn that suggested that perhaps the, the traditional power base uh, of cricket that's been in Melbourne since... CA move there in the mid-90s is starting to shift from Melbourne to Sydney with Nick Hockley living in Sydney, Tom Greenberg living in Sydney, Greg Dyer, who's the chairman of the ACA, also in Sydney, perhaps we're seeing a bit of a move away from the sort of Melbourne-centric Cricket Australia organisation.
0: Well, I hope that... Greenberg peppers his language with rugby league references to redress to, to some of the Aussie rules um, Aussie rules talk, you know, talking about, you know, we need a couple of tough, tough players up front to do the hard yards for us and all this sort of stuff. It would be uh, bring back some balance. Next headline concerns the Australian upcoming tour or scheduled tour of South Africa, and that is that uh, Cricket Australia has, um, it's been revealed, been indicating that they want to get all of the Australian players vaccinated before that tour, this has produced a mild level of controversy because there's the predictable response—not uh, necessarily incorrect response—but predictable response of people saying, "Well, surely we should be making sure that our frontline healthcare workers are vaccinated first um, before um, a couple of highly paid, couple of highly paid sports people." I tend to look at it sort of with a sl- what I hope is a slightly more um, nuanced view on that, and that is, surely they can vaccinate the, what is it, 20 people or whatever that will be needed without compromising the vaccines of any essential workers as well. That you can just, I I think it would make sense for them to be vaccinated given they're going to a country that is um, absolutely overrun with uh, with coronavirus, um, but you wouldn't want it at the expense of any frontline workers.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Paul. And the final headline is that Despite Channel 7 and Cricket Australia having some real difficulties with their broadcast arrangement... Channel 7 should be so happy with the ratings uh, from the India-Australia Test Series. The last day of the fourth test reached 3.68 million people on Channel 7 and peaked at 1.8 million watching at once. Just an incredible ratings for Channel 7. And it was also the most watched Test Series ever on pay TV. So uh, tremendous stuff and shows cricket still grabs the nation like no other sport.
0: That last day, it really did have a sort of a, a feeling that you don't often get, where it felt like this is really crossed over into the, I mean, cricket is mainstream, but this is the ultra, ultra mainstream. I always remember the 2005 Ashes getting a message from someone who I didn't even know knew that cricket existed, indicating they were watching the Edgebaston test match. Didn't quite reach that level, but it was, it was up there. Just a pity there wasn't a fifth test match.
1: And that's it for the Cricket Headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. If you've got a moment, head on to social media on Twitter and Instagram and follow Cricket Unfiltered at cricket Pod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. Or you can head to TikTok or on TikTok as Cricket Unfiltered. All right, we're going to take a break. Then I'm going to be back. I caught up um, last week with Lisa Griffiths, who's a Sydney Sixers WBBL player. She's also a captain of the New South Wales Breakers side when Elisa Healy's not available. And she's just started the New South Wales Female Apprenticeship Coaching Program. So she's going to join the show after the break. Welcome back to the show, Men is here, and in groundbreaking news for cricket in this country, Cricket New South Wales has launched its first elite coaching apprenticeship program specifically designed for women, and following an interview process, three women were selected for the program, Sixers stalwart Sarah Ailey, Breakers and Sixers all-rounder Lisa Griffith, and recent Breakers squad member Hannah Trithui. And joining me now to discuss it is Lisa Griffith, who has played 39 WBBL games and has captained the New South Wales Breakers when Elisa Healy has been unavailable. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. You must be thrilled to get the coaching apprenticeship.
2: Yeah, I'm amongst some great company, Um, along with Hannah Trithui and Sarah Ailey, you know, both very good cricketers in themselves, so... I'm very lucky to be one of the three that's been able to receive this internship and I'm really excited to get on board with Cricket in South Wales um, and learn, I guess, learn the ropes. Yeah, so uh,
1: for the listeners out there, you know, you play for the New South Wales Breakers, you play for the Sydney Sixers. Tell me, you know, is this something that you feel is needed for the game, for, um, you know, the, the female coaching to improve with the players?
2: 100%. Um, I think the recent stats that have come out, 30% of all um, individuals in the game now are female. And so I think the demand there is is similar for, you know, coaches and umpires and, and support staff in the game that, you know, that number rise along with the players. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's been a long time coming, um, but it's, it's awesome that it's happening and there's no time like the present for it to be happening. And, you know, I'm really fortunate to be on board with an organisation such as Cricket New South Wales that have put this in place.
1: Absolutely, it is such a good opportunity. And you're right, New South Wales cricket—they're groundbreakers in women's cricket. You know what they did with the breakers going professional first,
2: and, and what exactly
1: you know is involved with the apprenticeship.
2: um Yeah, so it's a ten-month internship, um, and it'll require so many hours of me a week. At the moment, I'm currently at a game. Um, I'm at a training for the under-19 female Metro team, um, which is really exciting. They're just getting some centre wicket stuff happening. Um, and, yeah, just every available opportunity that I get within Green New South Wales to do some work. I'm really interested in doing some work in the male space as well um, and just people that I really look up to um, are people like coaches like Shelley Nitschke who, you know, they've worked with the under-19. They went away – she went away with the – under-19 Australian um, men's team um, and just really, you know, forward-thinking women who are working in, you know, all areas of cricket and I think that's really important. Um, you know, as a female player, I've had lots of male coaches coach me and um, you know, I've had some great female, um, sorry, male coaches and I'm forever thankful for them but I think it's really important that that is vice versa as well and, and females are coaching males Um and, and that's the new norm. So I'm really excited to actually be, you know, one of the first people that might be able to do that. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can see it a little bit in the Sixers um, organisation Their Coaches move between the male and female teams a bit, and it's I think it's certainly something that we need to see more of. Do, do you sort of notice any difference when you work with a male or a female coach? Uh,
2: yeah, 100%. Um, I think, you know, I often get asked, are female players different to male players? And 100%, as much as some people might not like that, you know, we're different people. We're different. We play the game differently. And I think, you know, as a female, um, I probably see the game a little bit differently to to, to a male coach. And, you know, it was funny, Dom Thornley come back into the breakers environment having just been with the second 11 group over the Christmas period because he he doesn't coach a a big bash team, uh, sorry, a WBBL team. And he kind of come back and he said, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't um, prepared for for quick to men bowl um, again. (laughs) And, you know, having played his whole career and, um, you know, went back to the male, male um, environment and they just bowl a lot quicker. But similarly, you know, we, we have, some other avenues to you know we play our cricket we don't quite have the strength there so um, we've developed other other avenues of um, scoring runs and, and um, yeah I think certainly over the last 12 to 24 months we've also seen a massive increase in strength and you know and athleticism within the women's game as well so that's coming along nicely um, but I definitely feel like we do see things differently and I think it's important that um, those views are, uh, like I said before, put both into the men's and the women's game.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and is it sort of your ambition now to, to sort of coach uh, in the WBBL eventually or do you have a sort of goal? I know it's hard while you're playing.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'd love to be able to do the big one day. I'd love to be able to, you know, as high as I can soar. I'd love to be able to do that. Um, I've got a lot... Oh, yeah, I've got. I've definitely got a lot to learn, and um, you know, as in the playing space as well. I've got to transform with the game, and it's moving rapidly fast, as you know, the female game, and so I've got to move with that as a player. Um, and I think that'll really help me as a coach. Um, but yeah, I've got a lot to learn, but I look forward to doing that, and I look forward to giving back to this sport that has given me so much over the last well. I'm 28 now, so, yeah, nearly my whole life It's given me so much. I look forward to be able to give back and, and pay my dues a little bit, if you like.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a it's, it's a wonderful story. I've read, you know, how you took a five-year break from the game and then you've come back to it. Now, tell me, what was your first season with the Sixers like?
2: Um, I loved it. I love the brand of cricket that they play. I loved watching the Thunder do well. Don't get me wrong. There was a little bit of me that was like, oh, like... I'd love to have a win under my belt, Mm. but it didn't take away from the fact that I loved playing at the sixes. I love playing with a professional um, outfit that know the game so well, but mostly I just loved the the attacking brand of cricket that um, the sixes are about. And I, and that was the reason why I, you know, come across the sixes and I, yeah, I just, I love that. It's, it's, we play an attacking brand of cricket. We kind of live by the sword and die by the sword and, and we pride, our, you know, we pride ourselves on the attacking brand of cricket that we play. So that's something that I've needed to transform my game. And hopefully I can um, continue to play with them and, and learn
1: those ropes. Yeah, you've got some good players around you, that's for sure. You know, last question then, p- putting your coaching hat on, you know, when you look at the Sixers WBBL season, do you know where, where it kind of went wrong? Do you know, you, do you, have you sort of been able to pinpoint some of the elements that meant you didn't make the finals again?
2: yeah it's, it's it's an interesting conversation and I've had a fair bit of thank a fair bit of chats um, with ben and my teammates and things like that I think there was a few key moments of catches that we dropped and no one you know no one means to drop catches but I think they heard us and I think that that we kind of bowled lengths that people were prepared for um people were prepared for what you know for the few years previously that you we'd kind of that's the kind of what we delivered and people were kind of anticipating that other teams were anticipating that and that's kind of what they got. and so they were ready for us and we, we didn't we didn't move we, we didn't move with the game. Yeah right If that makes sense. So we, we didn't um, we didn't transform our bowling. Um, we probably didn't bowl very well at the depth. Um, and that probably cost us a little bit. But in saying that, we had some really, really nice moments. We've got some young players coming through that are doing an excellent job and and I have no doubt next year that we can go and kill it um, and do really well. We've identified those key areas that we probably fell down a little bit in and, um, yeah, I have no doubt we can come back a lot bigger and better next year.
1: Lisa, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, um, you know, Congratulations and best of luck with the internship.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much to Lisa Griffiths for coming on the podcast. And now it's time to finish the show the way we always do with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. So, Paul, what's that bit of cricket news you just can't let go? In
0: the last six months, my affection for Dan Christian has just skyrocketed. I've always just kind of thought of him as, yeah, a good, good all-rounder, um, but just started to gradually realise what a great player he is in the T20 format. And the other day, when they, when they had the list of hobbies that they have up on Channel 7, they have you know five questions they ask the players, and he actually had an interest that was outside the um, prescribed limits of cricketers. Mm-hmm. As a cricketer, you know, you're only, to, you're only allowed to be interested in golf, potentially horse racing. Tennis. Um, or Steve Smith's allowed, but I don't think anyone else is, and football. Dan Christian's interested in chess, and he plays chess. Uh, and I just thought, this is awesome. Slater and Fleming were like, what? And Slater's like, do you really like chess? And I don't know whether that's because he thought, you, you know, you shouldn't like chess as a cricketer or I wouldn't have thought you liked chess. I hope it didn't think it was because he thought chess was boring. And Christian said, yeah, I used to play chess all the time at school. And I just thought, that's fantastic. Like um, Broadening the interest level uh, beyond the, the, the normal level. Uh, yeah. Dan Christian, love him. He should be in the Australia's World Cup side.
1: Chess has um, got quite, has got quite a resurgence in the last few months. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix show The Queen's Gambit, Paul, but uh, you it's would, on my list. To watch. You would love it. And uh, I did hear Christian saying uh, that that was part of the inspiration. And I think there's, um, you know, a few chess boards floating around the hubs at the moment. I can I can only imagine what it'd be like to be a fly in the wall, <laughs> trying to, you know Christian trying to teach some of his teammates the rules of chess. Uh, all right, my can't let it go is um, not great news that. Uh, the ICC has found two UAE players guilty of attempted match-fixing match fixing during the T20 World Cup qualifiers in 2019, and, and it is very disappointing. And uh, I just think this whole thing is really messy, and it's sad to me that this is still going on in world cricket. All right. well, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much to Lisa and Pete for joining us. Thanks to all the listeners, and we'll be back next week.